Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I'm sitting down with Chris Echeverria, founder and creative director of seven-year-old Blackstock and Weber, best known for its updated classics, including loafers, as well as its big name collaborations. Chris has recently expanded his workload by launching a second label, Academy by Chris Echeverria, and signing on to be creative director of a new line by Sperry. I wanted to ask Chris about what's worthy of his time today as the fashion industry continues to change. I also want to highlight his road to launching his brand, which I know includes an email to Mickey Drexler. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Joe. How you doing? You've got your hands full. Hi, how are you? Uh, That's an understatement, (laughs) Um, but glad to be spending some time with you. Glad to have you here. You are fresh from Paris Fashion Week, where you debuted your collection with Sperry. Your debut collection, yeah. Tell me what happened in Paris and how it went. Um, It was great. Uh, You know, well, first I went to London um, to go hang out with some friends and, you know, kind of get away from New York and get away from work for a little while. Um, Good. You know, and... Needed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because if I would have just stayed... In New York, I would have found reasons to work. So I just got out of the city, um, hung out with some friends, visited some friends, um, ate some really good food, uh, really good Indian food. Um, and um, yeah, then made my way over to Paris, took the train. Um, and, uh, you know, we had our kit takeover. Um, ah. so we had a launch event at Kith in Paris, um, which to me, which to me is one of the nicest stores in the world. Um, and, uh, I have been there actually. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I, I'm surprising myself. Yeah. Oh, really? I agree. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, one of, yeah. it's one of the nicest stores in the world. Like the build out was insane. Um, and, um, yeah, it was great. Well attended, uh, saw all the people that, you know have supported me over the years there. Um, I had some of my best friends in the world there. My team was there. Um, a lot of people from Sperry were there. So it's just really a great time. Congratulations. Well, tell me about what this collaboration with Sperry means for you. And is this a long-term partnership? Oh, man. It's uh, it's something that really touches home for me because I've been wearing Sperry for a very long time, since I was in high school. Um you know, maybe even middle school, maybe even before that. I mean, there are times when I was wearing Sperry to church with my grandmother, um, you know, but like when I really integrated it into my wardrobe, it was like high school um, and I took ownership of it and it was something that I really liked. So, yeah, I mean, having that history of, you know, wearing the product and now being on the other side of it and being responsible for, you know, some parts of what we would consider a relaunch or, you know, a, a revitalization of this brand. Um, you know, it really means the world to me. It's major. It's so great. I've wrote about a different collaboration you were doing, but I mentioned the Sperry collab and I talk about how, um, on the box, the, the little guy's holding up. He's holding a beer. A bottle of He's beer. He's holding a beer, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you gotta keep it. You gotta keep it fresh. A little fun. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the whole thing is just really... Um, it's really cool because to me, Sperry is this, is just as classic 
American as a hamburger and french fries. You know what I'm saying? Um, And, you know, to be able to touch and influence um, at that level, you know, having the amount of time, I mean, with Blackstock and Weber, having the amount of time that I've had in this industry as my own person and my own thing, um, you know, uh, really is a testament to the work that we've been doing. Um, but also like, you know, a testament to what the industry abroad kind of sees in me. Well, let's talk about what I'm you honored. built. And yes, it's amazing. You've built quite the business. So seven years in. Oh, no, 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 not doing... even seven. Not seven. Not? Mm-mm. Oh. Mm-mm. No, 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 wow, no. Wow, we are jumping the gun. No, 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 no. 2018, we're like five years. Five years. We're in All our right, sixth. Okay. We're in our sixth. Okay, in, that's good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I was in the range. You were in the range. You were, you were there. You were there. You were there. Um, I thought it was 2017. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean. A little, yeah. yeah, I mean, you told me I was 40 when I'm actually 39, and I was like. <gasps> <laughs> God forbid. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing before Blackstock and, and Weber? Like, what led you here? Why, before you decided, I want to do my own thing. Oh. I can maybe do it better. Oh, so much. Um. So you were at J. Crew. Tell tell the Mickey Drexler story because we talked, and I just was like, "This guy's a go getter, go Chris." Um. So I mean, how did I get here? Um. The short version of that is, uh, you know, I've always wanted to be in fashion. My mother was heavily into fashion. Um. You know, I always we've always had like fashion magazines around the house, so like. It was something that, you know, was just always surrounding me. Um, I'm from New Jersey. So, you know, one of the things that people from New Jersey do on the weekends is go to the mall. So I spent a lot of time at malls. Um, My mother's favorite store was Nordstrom. So I spent a lot of time in Nordstrom. Um, It was just uh, sort of ingrained in me that, you know, every Saturday I would get up, I would watch cartoons. By the time 12 came around, my mother would be dressed. I would be dressed and we would go to the mall. Um, so, you know, do that over the course of, you know, I guess 10 years and you have a fashion designer. No, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, after that, you know, I mean, what stores did you like? You liked going to Nordstrom as well? Or were there, do you remember back in the day? I honestly really liked Nordstrom. Um, you know, I was, uh, into, I was into a lot of like, you know, streetwear and things of that nature so like there was a store called against all odds that had um that had like you know uh uh pepe jeans and you know fat farm and you know all of the uh rock aware and all that stuff and like you know i used to shop in there um getting like coochie sweaters and things of that nature yeah yeah that was like that was like my favorite shop um during that era um, but yeah, I've always wanted to do it. I've always wanted to be in the, in the fashion industry. Um, you know, I would be bullshitting if I said I always wanted to be a designer. I, you know, didn't know that was a job. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that was something that I could be. Um, but you know, I knew that clothes made me feel a certain way from a very young age. Um, to the point where, uh, my mom was like, 
you know, or my, my mom would take away my clothes if I wasn't being good in school or something like that. You know what I mean? Like she would be like, oh, you can only wear this, you know. Um, that is a big punishment. Yeah, it was a huge punishment, <laughs> you know. Even when I was a kid, I would like cry because, you know, I, my mom wouldn't let me pick out my clothes at like five, six years old. Like it was just like, you know, those little things I think were just indicators. But anyway, um, I went to I went to school for menswear design. Um, I went to FIT. Where'd you go? FIT in New York. Right. Um, and um, while I was there, while I was there, well, before I went to school, I was working at like the local mall at J Crew. Um, and I knew when, that I was going to school and I needed a new job for when I got to the city because I needed to have some money in my pocket. Um, and that leads into the Mickey Drexler story because, you know, I had heard about this new store that they were about to open and um, I really wanted to work in this new store because it was a men's focused store. Um, it was some sort of concept and, you know, there was really no way for me to contact anybody and really get an understanding of what of how to get into the store because, um, you know, it was just secret. You know, you didn't know who worked there. There was no phone for the store. You couldn't call the store. Um, so, you know, with J. Crew, they back then they had this program that if you get your current manager to sign on and the manager of whatever store that you want to go to to sign on, you can go anywhere in the country. I uh, was like, okay, my goal is to get the manager of my store to sign on for me to go over to this new store that does not exist. Um, so, you know, risky business. Risky business. Yeah. So I'm doing everything. I'm calling everyone from customer service to uh 770 at the time which was the headquarters of j crew and um and uh you know just really getting nowhere right and i'm just googling my ass off you know like trying to find people and um you know i said fuck it one day i was like fuck it why not just email the ceo and i had seen an article somewhere um about it was it was maybe an article or review or something like that where a customer had reached out to mickey and um he had gotten back to them in like two minutes and you know put them in contact with the person that they needed to talk to about whatever product that they that they had a problem with um you know and he was just known for being you know always on his email always readily available to whether it be customers or you know uh colleagues what have you like he was just always on it um and uh then so i ended up sending out so i ended up sending out an email to him i was like hey i work in the store in new jersey I heard you guys are open in the store blah 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 blah, blah. and Within like two minutes, he emails me back in with the manager in CC. And this was like maybe two weeks before I started school. So he emails me back with the manager in CC. That week I have a, uh, a meeting or an interview with the manager. And 
the week that I moved in, I started working at that store. Ah, and did you grow at J. Crew? What was your position? Um, so I was uh, I was a scout for a third party product. Um, so you know, I developed a really good relationship with Mickey, and he liked the things that I would wear, um, and uh, the things that I would uh, you know put on as I would come into the store, like you know the type of glasses that I would wear, et cetera, et cetera. And he would always ask me where I got stuff. Um, and that stuff would slowly trickle into the store. Um, and one day he said, all of the stuff that you gave me or all of the stuff that you told me about did really well in here. Um, you know, would you like to make this like, you know, some, uh, some sort of a formal arrangement? Um, you know, so I was doing that while I was in college. I mean, something about Mickey. Like, I, he has been on this podcast, and I've never had a guest call me the Saturday before. <laughs> and he just wanted to shoot the shit and get to know each other. And oh, okay. I was like, I love. He just, I was like, Hi, Mickey. He just picked, he just picked up the phone and called you. Like, you didn't you didn't know it was coming. I didn't know it was. coming. Oh yeah, yeah that's that's him. Yeah, so great. So, are you as accessible, Chris? Did you learn that this is? I don't know. No. A way to do business. No, I'm I'm bad at that. <laughs> I'm totally bad at that. Um, you know, I'm one of those protect my peace sort of people. Um, you know, Mickey gets invigorated by it. He's invigorated by like what's going on around him because he's not necessarily going out to find it. So like, you know, he has to find his ways to find it. So whether that's through a phone call or whether that's through breakfast or lunch with people, coffee, whatever, you know, in order for him to get the things that are happening in the streets, like he has to kind of communicate with the people that are in them. Right on. Totally. Well, tell me what happened at J. Crew. You Was there a, many jobs in between J. Crew and, and your biz? Many, many. Um, not a lot. Um, so, you know, J. Crew got acquired, um, maybe like right before I graduated. Um, and I left there. I worked at Cotton Incorporated, uh, where I was a trend, men's, where I was a men's trend forecaster. Um, that was my dream job. Um, I went into school, you know, I went into school actually, and I still did not want to be a designer. Um, and, you know, I had met this, uh, one of my professors, uh, there, his name was Bob Schultz and Bob, you know, worked with a bunch of different people like trying, uh, you know, forecasting trends. And I didn't even know that this was a job. Um, so just through talking to him and learning about the industry a little bit, he was just like, he was just like, yo, that these jobs are, you know, there's not a lot of them. So, you know, there's maybe about 20 of these jobs in the world. So when he told me that, you know, my head flipped to, okay, well, I have to get one of these 20 jobs. Um, so, you know, the industry in trend forecasting, as you probably know, is pretty weird because like, you know, there's 20 jobs and once you get them, nobody leaves um, because they're, no, no because they're so cool. Right. You know, like you. Until AI takes over. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> I hope not. I hope, I don't think. I know. God forbid. I don't think AI can do what, what some of these people can do. Um, but it's, um, it's one of those like travel heavy jobs. You get to kind of travel the world, go to a certain place, develop reports about certain things, you know, and um, 
that shit is exciting. You just get to like eat and take pictures and, you know, kind of go on like a free trip and, you know, come back with an idea of what things are going to be. But like, there's also a lot of work behind like it. Like a mood board. Yeah. There's also yeah. a lot of work behind it. Like you got to keep up with the news. Um, you know, there's so many, you know, micro trends within trends. Um, so, you know, you really have to kind of keep up with everything and always be ingesting shit. You know, it's just like, um, you know, always reading magazines, always watching the news, always kind of digging deeper into the news and being like, okay, what does this, this is what the news is saying, but what does it actually mean? Um, you know, and I would say, honestly, that's a, a, a big part of, you know, my own success and you know what i've been able to do in my life because i look at things a lot deeper as a result of working in that industry um yes and you're informed yeah. in terms of the moves you're making yeah. yeah yeah um after that uh i worked for um what was a small italian sportswear brand called stone island and you know yeah, may have heard of may it may have heard of it um <laughs> And, um, you know, I worked for the showroom and we were in charge of basically a relaunch of like what the brand is. Um, so started there in 2014, um, stayed there for, I think four or five years, four years. Um, and, uh, from the time that we started with them to the time that we ended with them, I think that, you know, we took them to, we opened two stores and took them to about $20 million in revenue. Um, That's awesome. And uh, they later sold to Montclair for $1.4 billion. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, after that, after seeing, you know, after all of the work that we put in, um, you know, I mean, even looking back at my J. Crew days and the things that we did there, right? You know, looking back at that, looking back at what I did with Stone Island, looking at how, um, you know, I had within my own department, of course, like, you know, changed the way that kind of people looked at men's trend forecasting. Um, I was like, well, after all of this, after all of this that I've done at other organizations, there's no reason that I can't do it for myself. Yes. Wait, what made you leave trend for forecasting? Um, you weren't doing that at Stone Island, right? No, 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 no. I think my contract was up. Yeah. 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 You did yeah, it. Yeah. Travel the world. Yeah, I think, had your yeah, I think my cheese and wine. I think, yeah, I think my contract <laughs> was up. But I was also just like looking for something different, you know? Um, I didn't want to be a writer anymore. I felt like I wanted to be closer to the garments. Um, and the step into Stone Island was, you know, a step closer to the garments. But I felt like, you know, once I had done that, I was like, okay, well, now I guess I have to be a designer. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Did you start with shoes? I know you for great shoes. Um, was that the go the taking off point? I did start with shoes. Um, yes. And why? Uh because we were in this moment um, when when I wanted to start this company, we were in this moment where sneakers were extremely popular, um, you know, and uh, I was, like I said, a menswear design student. I worked at J. Crew. I 
you know, kind of worked with a lot of like, you know, prominent companies like Alden and things of that nature to, you know, bring them into the fold of J. Crew. And it was, I guess, interesting to say the least that a lot of those companies that um, you know, we revere as these, you know, institutional or classic brands just weren't changing the way that they were speaking to their, to, to consumers. Um, you know, they were still treating, um, you know, younger consumers as if, you know, they had no place in these places. And, you know, as we saw, as we saw, you know, later on, like, you know, those institutions started to have problems. Um, but, um, you know, I saw this early on and I said, hey, you know, there are no there aren't a lot of brands that, you know, have that classic flair and have that classic idea of like artisanal workmanship and, you know, things of that nature. Um, and but communicates with the consumer in the way that they want to be communicated with. Um so, yeah, I started off with shoes um, because I felt I'd went into, I'd went, I'd, I'd been in a, a pretty much every, sorry, I've been in pretty much every men's store in, uh, in America. And every time I go into a men's store, the first thing that you would see is like your shirts, your pants and things of that nature. And if you finally made your way to the back of the store, you would see your shoe section. So, and when you get to the shoe section, you know, you have the same styles and they're all in black and brown. And as a parallel, the sneaker industry was doing something completely different. Um, you know, like, let's take the Jordan 1, for example. The Jordan 1, um, you know, is the star silhouette of the Jordan brand. And, you know, let's say Nike is focusing on or Jordan brand is focusing on the Jordan one in that cycle, right? So if they're focusing on that shoe, they're going to say every week, the Jordan one is going to come out in a new colorway. Um, and I noticed that week after week, kids were lining up for the same model shoe, but just in a different color. Um, and I said, hmm, I guess I think that this could be viable in this place with where these black and brown shoes exist. Um, so I was like, let me give it a whirl. You were focusing on, there's been a lot of talk about as things move on from activewear and athleisure, uh, people are actually getting dressed. Mm -hmm. And I think this is probably working to your advantage, but you, your styles you're focusing on, is it loafers? Is it oxfords? Is it it's loafers? Kind of, it's loafers only. Yep, yeah. Just loafers. Mm -hmm. Because nice. within that you have a few different styles, right? So you have your, horse bit, you have your tassel, you have your penny, you have your kilty, you have different styles that you can mess around with within that one thing. And um, the advantage is, is that they all fit the same. Yeah, yeah, true. Did you know where to go? You hear a lot of leather shoes made in Italy. Like, where are you doing your production? Uh, well, I started in England. Nice. Because, you know, I had always heard good things about England. And there was a factory in uh, specifically that I like wanted to work with and soon my business outgrew that factory and now we produce in Portugal. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. 
Well, tell me about the business. I think that collaborations have probably helped with awareness. Is that a large, large portion of the business? Maybe double digit percentage? Mm, yeah, like close, close, like, like yeah. not even, like, not even like, like, it's just within the double digits. But, you know, I would say that um, most of our, pro- most of our revenue is driven by core merchandise. Um, but a lot of the, uh, collaborations like give us a chance to do things, to do fun things and, you know, uh, create new content and all of that is the stuff that I enjoy. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I learned about starting my own business is that, you know, there's, it's, it, one of the things that I learned about starting my own business is that it is a business, <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> is that it is a business. Um, and, Such a concept. Yeah. And there's a lot, and there's a lot to learn. Um, and, um, you know, it's not all fun, uh, you know, but, you know, the thing that you have to do in order to stay invigorated about this thing that you're doing is create your own fun. Um, so, you know, I've done a job, a good job of creating my own fun through a lot of the products that we've done, uh, whether those be collaborative loafers or the stuff that we do outside of the loafer range. Let's talk about that because back when I talked to you in October, you were doing a collaboration. It had nothing to do with shoes. Mm-hmm. It was with Glover All. Okay, it, cool. it was a coat. It was a matching... <laughs> matching bucket hat. Bucket hat? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then a month later, you launched... Your second line, Academy. Yes. Tell me, so is there a divide in what you do at Black Sock and Weber? It's more shoes, or am I reading into this and and Academy's more clothes? Okay, so here's the breakdown, um, and obviously this can change because everything is a work in progress, right? Um, Make your own rules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Make your own rules. Um, so right now, Black Sock and Weber is all loafers, right? Um, is all loafers except for the things that I want to work with like legacy players on. Right. So we mentioned the Glover all jacket, like, you know, that's something that I think that every band should have in their wardrobe um, as well as a petty loafer. I think it's something that every man should have in their wardrobe. So, you know, we utilize that channel to work with um, brands that create these like staple goods that I, that I just love. Um, so in, and to put my own spin on it. Right. Um, Academy is everything that I design, you know, from top to bottom, the concept is mine. Um, you know, the, uh, fabric selection is mine. There's no bounds on what it is. It's just me telling a story through, um, through my own design and through my own, and, and through, uh, my own design language. Um, and, uh, there is a third component there, um, and it shows itself through the um, through the things that we sell online that aren't you know product that aren't like you know uh, a jacket or a pair of shoes. Um, and you know I'm sure you've seen like we sell like books and things of that nature on the site. So that's under an imprint that I call General Store, right? And General Store is just things that I've seen across the world that I like. Um, things that I use in my daily life um, that I want other people to experience. Um, And yeah, those are the three verticals. Let's talk about your focus. I think they all speak to your taste. It's classics, 
maybe, updated classics. It's not necessarily American. Or how would you describe this kind of happy space? Um, as it would pertain to, um, as it would pertain to like, you know, which side of the business? Are we talking about Blackstock? Are we talking about Academy? Are they different? You think there's a different focus? There is a different focus. I think that they're, they all feel the same. I think that Blackstock is, yeah, I mean, it's it's all things that I like. <laughs> yeah. It's all things that I like. It's, it's, really, it's really simple. It's just like, you know, what do I want to wear? You know, what do I like? What do I think is cool? What do I think that every man should have in their wardrobe? What do I think that, what, what, what are some books that I think that, you know, um, men of this generation should be uh, exposed to? Um, you know, when I, when it's Academy, it's like, you know, how can I make the landscape better through what it is that I design? Um, so it. it would, it would be that, you know, with Blackstock yeah. and Weber, it is, it's like, okay, what, it, what is it that, what is it that I like? Um, you know, Academy is, uh, you know, how am I making the landscape better through my design and my, in the way that I, uh, you know, put it out there. Um, and with general store, it's like, okay, well, what do I actually use? What do I integrate in my life? Um, you know, what have friends recommended to me that I really like? You know, those are the things. Yes, because it's your likes. Is there a lot of pressure as this tastemaker to have a presence on social, to have a uh, Substack newsletter? Like people should know what you are are eyeing at the time and. Do does everyone know? Do they know you, your shopper? I, I don't think a lot of people know. I, I think that people know me. My shopper knows me, but I don't think a lot of people know me. Um, I'm not a Substack guy. I'm not a podcast guy. I don't have my own podcast. I don't have my own newsletter. I don't have um, you know that big of a presence on social Instagram media. Live. <laughs> I don't do lives. I don't do any of that stuff. Um, and uh, you know. I am cautious about getting into the trap of like doing the things just to do the thing. Um, I'm more interested in doing the things that I like. And I feel like the people that like the same things or are interested in, you know, or, or kind of ride that same frequency that I do will find me if I continue to do the things that I like to do. Um, so, you know, um, as much as social media and, uh, you know, other things may amplify that presence. Um, I can't say that I'm interested in amplification for amplification's sake. Well, what about growth? Let's talk about the business. Because you're launching Academy a couple months ago, it would speak to that you are on a nice trajectory in terms of black stocks growth. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I don't think you'd be rolling out a number two if, if there, were there was trouble. Yeah. What can you tell me about the growth? And also, do you own the business? I own the business um, 100%. Um, and, uh, the growth, I mean, we have grown 300% every year since we started. Dang, Chris. That's really nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't hear that much. Yeah. What? Yeah, I mean. Okay, great. It's, it's been pretty good. Um, you know, I think that a lot of it is, um, you know, a creating the lane and, you know, really, uh, focusing on, um, you know, what it is that I wanted to do correctly. And, you know, 
always having product, mm-hmm, but always having my finger on the pulse, you know, um, and the pulse is something that gets me in trouble with my team because I will I will do stuff like, you know, we'll have product that needs to get released and like it's a business and it's like, OK, well, we're we have this product and it needs to get released and, um, you know, I'll look outside and I'll look at the weather and I'm like, it's not time, you know, um, and as uh, as, um, you know, the growth trajectory continues in the way that it does, um, you know, sometimes that like gets a little bit stripped away from you just because, you know, you want to operate a little bit more efficiently. Um, but, you know, I try I still try to say as close to my heart and mind uh, when it comes to making, releasing um you know, shooting the content for, um, and, uh, talking about product. So you've got your team, you've got your hands in a lot of things. Like, what are you able to let go of? What are you able to delegate? Who makes up your team? Mm, I mean, everybody that I, everybody that I love the most. (laughs) Yes. Is it small and mighty? Would you say? Um, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, we haven't we haven't hit twenty people yet, so nice. Yeah, are you still Brooklyn based? Absolutely. Does that make the best sense for a fashion business this day and age? Would you say? I don't know what would make the best sense for a fashion business this day and age. I just did what was best for me. <laughs> yeah. It works. That's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I just did what's best for me. Um, you know, we found a great place. We couldn't say no to it. Um, and yeah, that was that was pretty much it. Yes. Well, with your general store and your color, use of color. Anyway, I just feel like you you are well suited to a store, like many stores. What's your take on physical retail versus e-commerce? Where do you want to be? Do you want to have wholesale partners? Do you have wholesale partners? I don't know the breakdown. Um, well, number one, I don't have wholesale partners. I have friends. Um, <laughs> yes. I have friends. I don't um I don't do business with people I don't know um and if anybody wants to do business with me I you know have to get to know them first um so like our first partners were people that I'm friends with um you know it was uh Andrew at 316 that gave us our first shot um at physical retail um along with uh Ronnie Feig at Kiff um you know, and those are the two doors that we have to this day. Um, you know, actually, we do have one more. Um, we have uh, one in Hong Kong. Um, it's called uh, Leather Healer, and they're like, you know, big shoe uh, retailer out there. And, um, you know, what made me want to sell there is the guy that owns it flew out to meet me and have breakfast with me. And, you know, I was just like, okay, I, mean, I was just like, okay, yeah. Celebrity. <laughs> he's the, he's the celebrity. I wouldn't fly meet anybody. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was, it was a great time. Um, he bought me like this really sweet gift. Um, and, uh, you know, he was wearing the shoes when he came and, you know, had a passion for the product that we make. And it's just really cool to see. Especially like, you know, like you said, I'm here in Brooklyn. It's really cool to see like, you know, people across the world that love your shit. 
So that was a yes. Um, uh, as far as other wholesale partners, uh, I don't necessarily see that as, you know, a big pillar in our business, um, right now. Um, I think that we are doing all right without it. Um, and, uh, I think that, um, you know, it could, you know, it could be something that we get into in, in the future. But like right now, what I'm really focusing on is uh, the growth of the brands that I'm starting, um, because that wholesale industry is a whole nother part. It's a whole nother, it's a whole nother thing, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen it through my work with Stone Island. It's a whole nother, it's a whole nother beast. Um, so, you know, I'll let that kind of live right for now. Um, there are plenty of other brands out there that, you know, make great loafers and, you know, I'm friends with the people who make them. Um, and, uh, I think that they, and, and they do, and they, and they do great wholesale businesses. Um, and, you know, I think those are the people that, you know, a lot of these stores can go to. For 2024, reaching your 300% usual, I mean, you, you got to keep up to that, that level. There's no going back. I think, <laughs> what does that look like? I mean, I think that um, our problem our problem has been, you know, and, you know, like you, you're probably looking at me crazy because, like, you're like, okay, well, 300% growth, like, there's no problem there, right? Um, well, the problem has been that, you know, even with that growth, we still haven't satisfied the demand that we have. You know, I think that the thing that we have been doing over the past five years, every year is trying to fill. I don't even want to say that because it's going to sound so cliche. I was going to say fill the shoes, but no, like, no, <laughs> no. What we what we're we're doing is we're trying to, I guess, fill the shoes. Yeah, we're just trying to we're we're trying to, you know live up to our potential. Um, yes. you know, so demand is there, demand is sorting there. supply chain and all of that. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's sort of, um, if I had to say there's one issue, that would be the issue. Right on. I was going to ask, you knew that was my last question. Challenges. Was it? I always go there. I always go okay. there. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's, that's the challenge. I mean, the other challenges are just being in a business and never had and never having a business before. Um, every day is a learning experience. Um, I welcome it. I love it. It's something that, um, you know, can be annoying at times. I feel like there is tons of work to, there's ton, there's tons of work to be done at all times. Um, it's, it's like having a glass with a hole in it, you know, and you're trying to drink water. Um, you know, you can never fill up the glass. Your glass will never be full. Um, but you know, I think even without your glass being full, there's lessons that you learn throughout the process. Um, but yeah, I'm learning a lot. Uh, and I think that one of the things that we, um, continue to do, uh, here is challenge ourselves. Um, and that's, I think what sets us apart from a lot of people um, outside of the design and outside of what I like is that, you know, my team is constantly challenging each other 
um, whether that be from the way that we run our finances, whether that be from the way that we demand plan, whether that be from the way that we design, whether that be, you know, through the partners that we reach out to and work with, um, whether that be through, um, you know, launching our own physical retail, like we're always challenging ourselves. Good for you. Would you ever challenge yourself to make some sneakers? No, no. <laughs> I My challenge and my biggest, my main challenge, um, well, let's not say no. Um, let's not say no. They would never, uh, the one thing that I would say is that they would never be Blackstock and Weber sneakers. You know what I'm saying? Okay. The Black yes. the Blackstock and Weber loafer is, you know, my goal is to, or my aspiration is to own a category. Um, you know, I think that the work that we've done has put, have put us in a, in, you know, at least top three space, you know, in, in five years. And that's amazing. Um, you know, if we can continue to do the stuff that we're doing, like we can definitely, uh, get to the place over the next five years where we are when somebody says, Hey, I want a pair of loafers. Like, you know, the first person that they think about is, or the first brand that they think about is black stock and Weber. Um, that's the goal. Yes. But yeah, you have to put money at marketing dollars into marketing ads. Are you, how, how are you making sure they remember you other than just great product? You know, what's so funny. is like, we used to run ads and um, what is it? January 23rd. Um, and we haven't run an ad since January 1st. <laughs> what? We haven't run That's an, fantastic. We haven't run an ad since January 1st because I was like, let's just see what happens. Right. And we are doing better. We're, we're up 200% last January. So like, you know, um without ads so you know it's it's a more it's more profitable business um which is very interesting to me um not to say that i you know won't do more ads because you know i like to put myself out there in front of you know new customers and the best way to do that um is with ads um you know i think the other way to do that is through good content but you pair good content with ads and you get way more people than you would have gotten with bad content and ads or, you know, just good content. Um, so, you know, I think that there's a lot of, you know, interesting conversation happening around the ad space. Um, you know, some people are really for it. Some people are really against it. Some people say it's too expensive. Some people say it's not. I think that everything, um, I think that uh, everything is subjective, you know. You know, everybody's business is different. Um, you know, my business might do well with ads. Somebody else's business might not. Um, you know, it's just all about what it is that you're selling, who you're selling to, who you want to reach, what sort of scale you want to reach, whether that, whether those numbers make sense with your numbers. It's a whole bunch of shit that I've learned over the years. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's not as simple as many think it is. Well, I've covered the bases here. You have been so generous with your time. What is your your grand plan? What is the ultimate goal for Blackstock and Weber? You see it in 20 years. What's happening? Um, I don't know. 
you know the number one i don't know i don't know loafer i don't know i I mean i want us to be i want us to be number one um but more than anything you know it goes back to um adding value to the space i want to be a brand that people look at and they say like hey this brand isn't just selling product for product's sake they're adding value to the space they continue to um you know challenge the narratives that are around certain products they continue to reinvent products um that we know and love they continue to introduce us to products that we may know and love um and i think that um you know as i look at blackstock and weber as i look at academy as i look at general store and as i look at chris as a designer right you know i think 20 years from now it's like okay chris really um you know played his heart out in this in this arena and um you know the history shows it and what happens as a result of that is to be seen you know i think that i think that we look at you know ralph as the pinnacle of success um but there's only one ralph and there was only one time period of of um you know ralph's growth in the way that he went about his business and that and and as a result he became who he was so I don't know what's going what what that looks like from a business that starts in 2018 as opposed to a business that started in 1967. Right. You know? Um Yeah. You know, one would hope that it looks like the trajectory of Ralph. But I'm open to the possibilities of what it may look like for a business of this generation. The next Ralph. <laughs> I love it. Chris, <laughs> Chris, well, I'm excited to follow all you do. This is so fun. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. I love yeah. I love talking to you. This was great. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the Glossy Podcast. See you next week.